Welcome to Transit Unplugged, the Comfort's Corner edition. I'm Paul Comfort, your host. Thank you for being with us today on the weekend edition of Comfort's Corner on April 17th, 18th, and 19th, 2020. Welcome to our podcast where we dig inside and see what's happening in transit systems across North America and their response to the COVID-19 crisis. This is an important time for our industry. And today we're going to be covering some news headlines and then an amazing in-depth newsmaker interview with Aaron Pinkerton, who is CEO of the BC Transit in British Columbia, headquartered in Victoria, uh, but really covering an area 40% larger than the state of Texas with, you know, over 80 transit system contracts and just a, a phenomenally big and complicated system that she oversees. And some of the insights she gives are some of the best I've heard and how we are going to be uh, responding after this and as we come out is what's the new look of public transit going to look like? I was honored earlier today to uh, be on a podcast or be on a webinar for CUDA, the Canadian Urban Transit Association. I just finished it. Uh, it was at um, one o'clock p.m. on uh, Friday and it was a one-hour seminar with you know over 100 people registered for it across Canada and I was able to talk also about what the future of, might look like. I've also written an article for the upcoming Metro Magazine in the May edition about five long-term implications of coronavirus on public transportation. And that's what people are starting to see now is that what's going to happen after this? Are we going to be different? And so we'll talk about that uh, in the article and in the interview with, uh, with Aaron Pinkerton. Some of the other interesting headlines for today, and we'll first talk headlines like we always do, uh, and then we'll get into uh, the interview and then a reading from our book. Uh, there are some tools. You, you know, you've probably never been invited to so many webinars in your life, right? So uh, I just did another one earlier this week with six CEOs. Um, it was called the CEO Roundtable Managing Through COVID-19, sponsored by uh, Trapeze, and it includes Inez Evans, the president and CEO of Indigo, Scott Bogren, the executive director of Community Transportation Association of America, Wade Coombs from Canada, director of transit and Strathcona County and um, a regional head for um, CUDA in the western part of Canada. My new friend, Julie Tim, who's CEO of GRTC in Richmond. Kevin Quinn, my successor at MTA in Baltimore, where he's CEO and administrator. And Bill Carpenter, the great leader of Rochester, New York transit system, where he's come up with some, a list of best practices. And they, we went over those best practices and we had a great conversation uh, that is going to become our podcast for Monday's edition of this show. So if you missed it, uh, if you missed this special 90 minute presentation, we'll bring it all to you on our Comforts Corner Transit Unplugged podcast this coming Monday. I also had a great interview with uh, the CEO of LA Metro, Phil Washington. I spent a half hour with him uh, two evenings ago online, and uh, he gives a great interview about what's happening in LA, Los Angeles, uh, the big metro system that he oversees there, and what uh, how they're pulling out of this COVID-19 crisis and what they might look for in the future. And he will be on our April 30th episode of Transit Unplugged. But I've got another couple of webinars coming up that you may be interested in, both on the next two Tuesdays, Tuesday, April 21st, and Tuesday, April 28th at 2 p.m. both days. The first one is Preparing for Beyond COVID-19 Business as Usual. Uh, and this one will include Lauren Skyver, CEO of Sunline Transit, Peter Stark, General Manager of Whatcom Transportation Authority, and Elia Carey, who's owner of a, her own consulting firm uh, out in Silicon Valley. And they're going to be talking about um, 
how are agencies making progress during this global pandemic? What lessons are they learning? The importance of uh, kind of changing our messaging. Elliot will talk about that and how we can get out of this pandemic. And then uh, a really interesting topic on Tuesday, April 28th at 2 p.m. And that'll be James McDonald, Director of Saskatoon Transit in Canada, as well as Steve Sawyer, General Manager of Trapeze, Roger Helmy, Chief of Products for Trapeze, Alex Nee, Chief Technology Officer for Trapeze Group. Um, Jeff Moore, Vice President of Sales for Trapeze, Teresa Domingo, Senior VP of Operations for Trapeze Group, and um, then Travis Nepper, Director of New Product Initiative. All these folks are going to be talking about, um, was your technology stack agile enough to allow you to make service changes quickly? Does your tech staff have open APIs, making it easier for you to integrate with new parties to quickly offer new service, like agencies who turn paratransit service into food delivery service? Have you found out that your technology is a few versions behind? Might there be other enhancements you haven't taken advantage of? We'll be talking about a big picture of te technology solutions that are available to you. I mean, it's just going to be a great, when do you ever get a lineup of all the top executives, basically, of the world's largest transportation technology company? I just happen to be blessed enough to work there. Uh, and so this is your chance, man. You'll hear from one of the CEOs about what he's been doing. And then all the top technology people from my company, Trapeze, are going to be on there. It is going to be phenomenal. I can't wait for it. And that, of course, will be on Tuesday, the 28th from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. So be sure to register. It's free, man. These are free courses we're offering. Just go to trapezegroup.com uh, and go down to the middle where, you know, managing through COVID and you can register for it. A lot of activity going on, uh, and I want to cover some of the headlines. Really interesting. Metrolink in the Quad Cities is running their full route schedules seven days a week in, uh, in Illinois. Metrolink in the Quad Cities areas is running their full route schedule seven days a week, and more than 60% of their riders rely on public transit to get to their jobs. Administrator Jennifer Hirsch said jobs, healthcare, grocery, these are essential trips. And the transit service took the threat seriously 10 weeks ago. Their drivers were equipped with hand sanitizers, PPE, and they asked their riders to consider wearing a face mask. And they began to waive all fees to ride the transit service, helping reduce interactions between the operators and riders. And they're asking riders to use the rear, board, rear door when boarding. And they have thoroughly increased their cleaning and disinfecting protocols. We're in the field throughout the day. Hirsch says, wiping down, disinfecting, high-touch point surfaces of the vehicles. And when they come in for the evenings, we have almost a double disinfectant process. And so basically, they've decided that they're going to go ahead and continue service because they still want to promote, like most people are saying, you know, we still have to promote social distancing, et cetera. So interesting. New York, you know, has been hit hard, right? That's where actually I think uh, the bulk of the cases for COVID-19 in the U.S. have been. And so and the New York Metropolitan Transit Authority has been hard hit with many of their employees, uh, you know, taken ill from COVID-19. So the MTA has joined forces with Northwell HealthGo Health Urgent Care to provide prioritized COVID-19 testing to symptomatic frontline MTA workers at its urgent care facilities throughout the New York metropolitan region. The new partnership with the state's largest healthcare provider marks the latest in a series of aggressive health and safety measures taken by the MTA to protect its vital frontline workforce and to limit the spread of COVID-19 at no cost to MTA employees. Under this new partnership, the urgent care facility will provide priority testing to symptomatic transportation workers at a rate of up to 50 tests per day or 350 per week. The partnership between MTA and the Northwell Health Go Health Urgent Care is like the partnership the organization has had with the police and the fire department. The agreement expands the range of options available to MTA employees who are still able to go to their primary care physician or other medical provider at no cost. And so uh, this is a great, I think, way to 
to help their employees. They've distributed millions of personal protective equipment, the MTA has, to 2.7 million pairs of gloves, 750,000 masks. Uh, but they still have a lot of employees who have tested sick and some who have passed away, unfortunately. Uh, in order to help prevent that, a lot of transit agencies, Palmetto Breeze is just one of the latest ones that announced it, are putting in the driver shields, right? That plexiglass type shield right beside the driver. It's unfortunate that it limits contact with the passengers. I know when I did it in Baltimore, I got feedback from many drivers. It's like, you know, I'd like to actually, you know, have conversation and have connection with passengers. But in this new era, I think that's the new norm. Um, and um, other things that have been going on is uh, the... Um, San Francisco Metropolitan Transit Authority, MTA, has been helping older adults and people with dis disabilities navigate their reduced muni service. Um, and uh, some agencies now are projecting big dollar losses due to the fares and coronavirus re uh, reduction in passengers. New York MTA is projecting uh, between seven and $8.5 billion in losses due to coronavirus. And in Illinois, the RTA is expecting a nearly $1 billion revenue loss for transit agencies due to coronavirus. So big changes. Ending though with a positive upbeat note, uh, Transdav and the County Connection partner with a local community to offer essential rides and delivery service. And this is uh, an example of what's happening all across the country. I've, I'm working uh, with all these big companies, Transdev, First Transit, Keolas, MV, uh, RATP Dev, and National Express, and they're all, many of them are working with their agencies to do things like this. This is a story that was in Mass Transit Magazine about the Contra Costa County Transit Authority, County Connection, has partnered with Transdev North America to provide shuttles for essential employees, services, food, and supplies to address an emerging community need. The service has incorporated a weekday reservation system to ensure timely and efficient response and currently includes meal and grocery delivery programs um, in partnership with a local school district and churches for up to 200 students while students are sheltering in place. Rides for life sustaining services to take people to grocery, pharmacy, and medical. Delivery of food in partnership with the Meals on Wheels program. Delivery of essential supplies to any location in Contra Costa County and to approved destinations in adjacent counties as needed. Relocation services for homeless individuals from shelters to hotels and other congregate living spaces and transportation for potentially COVID-19 positive patients that need to get the medical appointments and testing and they have extra training and protective measures being taken to provide this service. And so they're very excited about it. You know, the um, Meals on Wheels, uh, Joanna Durham, the Transdev General Manager said we're excited about the support we are receiving in the community from local senior centers, charitable organizations such as Meals on Wheels, along with the ongoing communications we're having with the County Emergency Operations Center and our client partners. Transdev is continuing to implement social distancing policies in addition to an increased frequency of its cleaning and disinfecting process to ensure a safe environment for employees. Um, and um, Duran said, since we started these services, our operators are returning from the workday with smiles on their faces and a sense of gratitude for the ability to give back to the community in which they serve. Very, very, uh, a good news story that I wanted to end on today. And, and this is uh, similar to what's happening across North America as um, transit agencies and their partner contracting companies are coming up with creative ideas to serve their communities. So that's the headline news for this weekend of April 17th through 19th. Be sure to stay tuned now for an insightful, impactful interview with um, one of my best friends in the industry, the CEO of BC Transit, Aaron Pinkerton, who gives us a phenomenal uh, review. And it's from her home. I interviewed her from her house uh, over you know, the computer. Uh, because she is practicing social distancing too and going into offices one day and letting COO and other people go in the other days, the other officers of her corporation. And um, 
and uh, and then we're going to do a reading from the book. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for tuning in all week to Comfort Corner. And thank you for all the wonderful messages I've received on LinkedIn and Twitter, people who are listening to the program. I've really received more messages of thanks than I think I ever can recall for how this podcast is helping to transform the knowledge uh uh, transmission to people about best practices. It's one place where you can tune in every other day to get the best news of what's happening across the public transit industry. We're happy to serve uh, you in that capacity. And if you want to be featured on this show, we're going to probably continue it three days a week through the end of April and then maybe drop it back some in May. But if you want to be featured as a guest, uh, just let me know. Shoot me a note, uh, paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com. Uh, or contact me on LinkedIn under my name. And uh, if it's a good fit, we'll try to get you on as a Newsmaker interview. Take care and stay safe out there. Have a great weekend. All right. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, the Transit Unplugged inside story what's happening in the transit industry across North America. And we're excited today to have with us as our on our newsmaker line, Aaron Pinkerton, who is CEO of BC Transit out in the western part of Canada. Thank you so much for being with us today, Aaron. Hello, Paul. Yeah. Use that <laughs> FM DJ voice. <laughs> so we're excited to have you on board. Now, you're home today. So tell us... Um, you're in, uh, you're in, are you near Victoria, Canada? Is that kind of where, that's where your headquarters is, right? Yeah, so BC Transit, our headquarters is in Victoria. Um, and then we're the transit system that provides a service to all the local government and communities across the province of British Columbia, except for Vancouver, which is TransLink. And that's Kevin Desmond, who's telling uh, the world now, hey, if I don't get some money, uh, we're, we're in uh, dire straits here. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, um, all transit agencies are in the same spot. We've, most of us, I think most of us, have given up uh, fare box revenue to facilitate rear door boarding. And there comes a breaking point where at what point when you lose that much money, do you need some sort of bailout or relief? Right. And uh, now in Canada, how do you all get your funding normally? I mean, how is your, let's, let's use yours. So first off, tell us how big your system is, kind of the structure. I mean, because you're one of the biggest transit systems in the world. Tell us a little bit about that. That's very generous about in the world. Let's just stick with maybe. <laughs> for, the, for the square footage or the square <laughs> meters that you cover. <laughs> yeah, so we, we are um, like almost like a state agency. We have uh, 81 transit systems, uh, 1,200 buses. And so uh, we're, we're, our funding comes from the province, which would be the province of BC, and then local governments who fund the fare box and property taxes. So our, our model is very much consistent in that way. And, and that's what's very interesting about this pandemic that's going on right now is going to the federal government trying to get funding relief. I know in the U.S. you already got your package released. Right. But we've never received operating grants for federal funding. We're used to infrastructure, bricks and mortar, buy a bus, build a facility, we'll give you money. So it's taken a little bit longer in Canada to figure out how do we achieve this unique operating model that we have. And, and provinces in Canada are kind of like states here in America, right? Right. So you get most of your money from the local state province government right. for operating dollars. Right. And you're asking the federal government to kind of uh, change the funding model and not just do capital, but for once, at least in this crisis, our buddy Marco D'Angelo and CUDA and all the transit systems are saying, hey, we need some relief here. We didn't cause this pandemic um, and we didn't cause 
the social distancing regulations that came out from the federal government. We didn't require people uh, to work from home. These are all mandates from the federal and provincial governments. We need some money to help kind of stimulate our ability to make up for the lost fare boxes, pay for the cost of the extra cleaning costs and all the extra costs it is to continue to run the service. Kind of, is that, am I summarizing it pretty well? Well, absolutely. And I think let's think about the function and structure of public transit. Um, if we were a private business, if we were a restaurant and uh, policies were passed down that we couldn't adhere to, we would close the doors. Public transit does not have the opportunity to close our doors. Right. So we've given up a revenue source, but we continue to put service on the road. And at the same time, we have added costs from cleaning supplies, levels of cleaning that transit agencies have never experienced in their lives over time because we're trying to find enough workers to even get the service on the road. So it's just a unique, interesting situation for a public provider. We're an essential service. We're, we're required to put service on the road, but we've lost the revenue stream. So I'm, I'm confident we'll get there. I, yeah. I can't see us not getting there. Right. It's really got, it's one of those, uh, it's gotta be done. So we have it's to figure be it done. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, let's talk about your, what you've been doing as a CEO of this agency. Again, I didn't talk about it on this show. We've done it on a previous show with you, but tell us the geographic size of the area <laughs> that you oversee. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, let me see if I wonder if I have even the number from our last one. Didn't you say it's like twice as big as Texas or something? Yeah, it's 40% bigger than Texas and it's yeah. mountainous and we're surrounded by water on all edges. And uh, I mean, Victoria itself is on an island, but an island of a million people. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, in, if you've listened to the previous podcast, we already have a quite unique model in that we're a central agency run out of one system, but we're planning, coordinating, putting services uh, all across the province. It's quite unique for us right now because there's no travel allowed. Travel was the mecca of our, right. uh, the way we did our business. We would send right. fleet inspectors out. We'd have planners on the road, schedulers. What are they doing now? So it, there's some amazing things that are happening with companies as why not see the silver lining? Yeah. We're, yeah. we're figuring out how to do our business from afar. We're figuring out how to telecommute. We're going to save money on travel. Like there, let's, I'm, I'm excited about when, when we turn back on, what can we not turn back on? What can we leave turned off because we've actually become more efficient or we're figuring out ways to do things better. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of people are doing that, right? So I've been talking, right. I've been on uh, a bunch of talk shows uh, live <laughs> you know, for the last week. I was just on uh, Mobility Masterminds earlier today and um, was talking about the commuter services. So Kevin Quinn, you know, the CEO of MTA in Maryland, who took my place as CEO there, told me that the commuter services are down to 3% of their ridership. So they're obviously going to cut back a little bit since only 3% of the riders are there. I mean, I don't see that, especially on the commuter services where people are mostly white collar workers and, you know, making six figures. And um, I think a lot of them will figure out how to do their work continually from home and maybe only go into the office, you know, once or twice a week, maybe three times. And so there will be some things that won't change. Um, when you look at what you all are doing there in BC Transit, uh, what kind of things are you doing differently that you might continue to do differently in the future? Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things on this. So one of the things that I find just fascinating is almost like organizational culture and theory is that when everyone in the company is focused on the exact same thing, you get stuff done. And like we've already, we, you and I have talked about this before is um, you came in and we show you our priority list and then we've got a hundred priorities for the year. Well, you're not going to get anything done. 
And so this COVID-19 has been a, an amazing experience and everybody has the same task in front of them. So what are some of the things you get done? Well, we've done service changes across 58 local governments that normally take months and months and months. You do them in two days. Wow. We've gotten rid of rider's guides because we're trying to get into dynamic scheduling right now. We can't afford or have the time to print rider's guides, get rid of them. For years, I've been saying, let's get it right of rider's guides, gone overnight. We've <laughs> so this crisis was an opportunity. Crisis, when there's a will, there's a way. Uh, mm -hmm. Electronic paddles, no more paper paddles. We've resist, the resistance to paper has been there for years, but all of a sudden it's like, well, paper now is something you don't want to touch because it might carry the disease. So use the electronic paddle, just like that. Wow. So there's, a, there's so many things that I look at in terms of we can get stuff. And then the other thing is the culture around it's okay at this moment to make a mistake and to adjust. So we're adjusting on the fly. We're only making, we only have 80% of the information, sometimes less than 80. We have to make decisions in the absence of all the information. Right. And I'd say traditional transit agencies have been aim, 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 repeat, aim, 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 and then yeah. you finally fire. Yeah. And it takes forever to get anything done. But right now it's like, we don't have time. We, you have to, we are trusting our employees to make the decisions. We have delegated down authority and empowerment. It's, it's all the things you talk about what a real good culture and agency should do, but you're almost forced to do it in these circumstances. So that, that for me has been very interesting. I, I literally am standing back and letting the experts do their jobs because there's not enough time for me to get in the way of all that kind of stuff. Right. That's good. Yeah. And, and so what have you been doing? I mean, as a CEO, and I know you go into the office sometimes, but like right. a lot of CEOs, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day and they were saying, you know, I'm going in one day and then my COO goes in the next day and that kind of stuff. And so there's right. somebody there, but not all the time. And so what are you, what are you up to? So yeah, we rotate who's in the office, a little bit of contingency planning there, because if one of us gets by, you know, gets COVID, you don't want all of us getting it at the same time. Right. Um, I would say I, I have focused on becoming the chief empathy officer <laughs> is that there is so much going on right now in the world. And it's not just in work. There are personally people at right now are homeschooling their children, right? They, they might have family members who've been laid off. There's the stress and anxiety about what COVID has done and what, what will become. I know myself, I've lost sleep and I'm more anxious. So I'm really focused on how do I make sure that at the same time, we're asking our employees to do almost 100% more of the work. Like mm. people are working crazy hours. The work is endless. Some people thrive in that environment. I mean, I know I thrive in high pressure and stress, yeah. but I'm really focused on like finding the right level of cadence. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. Um, communicate, communicate, communicate. So how are employees going to feel after we come out of this? Will they feel that the organization supported them or left them out there alone? Um, so it's really helpful for me, like I said, about letting the experts do their job. By letting the operations deal with operations, I can then focus on the employees. How do we communicate? I've been trying, I'm not very good at it yet, at doing like all, all employee CEO um, videos. Yeah. Which, you know, before I would have been like, oh, I can just write an email. But without the connection to the employee, they want to see a face-to-face. -face. And right. so, again, maybe we'll start doing town halls virtually. Like, how do we keep our employees connected? But being very, very aware of the fact that there is so much more going on in every employee's brain, persona, anxiety. Um, yeah. We're going to make mistakes. It's okay. 
So that's just, I'm just focused on making sure that we can survive this. It's not just about what we put on the road. How is your, the culture of your actual organization, what's permutating in that background culture? That's good. And uh, how do you think, I mean, so in British Columbia, how long is your current shutdown order in place for? Do you know what the game plan is? It's, it's probably the same as it is elsewhere. It's, we get our daily updates, daily reports, yeah. and the, the message indefinite. is the same. Stay yeah. home. <laughs> Keep doing what yeah. you're doing. Flatten the curve. <laughs> so do you have, uh, have you started like um, contingency planning for kind of, uh, you know, returning it to whatever the new normal is? Yeah, absolutely. I think my focus has mostly been on the strategic side looking forward, not as much as the day-to-day what's going on. So um, we're doing six, nine, 12 months out. How long, if we're in this for six, nine or 12, what do we look like? But I think the other thing that I'm laser focused on is what is the new transit? So there's going to be, I, I strongly believe there's going to be a new, an expectation of our customers for a new type of service. Mm. And like some of the things around that cleanliness, are we going to be able to go back? Yeah. I don't think so. No, crowding. Yeah. Uh, right. Crowding. Can we crush load buses anymore? I don't know if that's going to be socially acceptable. So then do we have to put more service on the road to facilitate a more relaxed and comfortable ride? Are we going to be able to go back to front door boarding or is rear door boarding a thing? I, I know you've talked about death of the fare box. Right. So yeah. is it touchless tap? Is it tap only? Is cash, is cash gone? Yeah. Yeah, these are questions that I think that, uh, and you're seeing little bits and pieces, uh, a, you know, a decision here, a decision there. Uh, I think within six weeks, we'll have a clearer view of, uh, right. of some of the new normal, what the new normal will be. And clearly, I just wrote um, an article for Axios News Service on this, uh, on, you know, what are five things transit agencies going to have to do to get people back on the bus? And one of them is going to be, I think, um, we're going to have to message a whole new message. Um, and it, and I think we're going to have to let people know, I mean, when was the bus cleaned, right? So right. maybe even on the front right. panel of the bus, the destination sign, it'll say like the back door of a bathroom in a restaurant, you know, this Last bus curb by. is 2 p.m., <laughs> you know, because uh, right. so, most people have gone to more than just once a night cleaning. Most of them are cleaning them multiple times through the day. And, uh, and so I think having information out there, maybe having voluntary usage of masks, and maybe even mandatory for a while longer, uh, right. even after we're over the COVID thing will help. Uh, I was just on a show earlier today and saying that, you know, I'm not, I don't know how useful this is. My cloth mask, you know, um, although it looks kind of cool. Uh, I don't know how useful that is. Somebody said there was a wall street journal article that said that if you're doing homemade masks, it's only 10% uh, as effective as, you know, medical masks, but I don't know how useful. but at least for purposes of, you know, right. calming everybody down, kind of get back to normal, Although that's not normal, seeing people like that. But, uh, but you get the drift. I think you're right. I think we have a new right. normal coming. Well, and then, so what you said earlier about, I mean, even for our own organization, we have moved the entire head office to their homes. Wow, so that's something. Would you move everyone back? Yeah. Or does this allow us to expand our, like, we need to grow, but can we grow now right. without needing a brand new head office? Yeah. So if you can allow people, and, and in this, you know, the whole thing about telecommute and telework is it, you have to trust your employees. You just trust them to get the job done. Um, I actually am worried right now that a lot of our employees working from home are working too hard because mm-hmm. even for myself, you forget to get up and walk. You forget to do anything. Right. It's just endless meetings and video conferences 
You and I talk about that the other day. I I think I'm working 12 hours a day now. Right. I, you know, this is like back when I was at MTA that kind of, or county administrator, those kind of hours I was doing then. And a lot of people are doing that. So you're right. right. Having whoever whoever thinks it. that having right. to, yeah. So whoever, if that's an old school mentality thing that you actually have to physically see someone to know that they're working. Because I right. can assure you that the amount of social breaks that happen in an office that no longer happen, which right. by the way, I need, and people do need for like their own mental yeah. stability, right. but you're not doing any breaks. There's no breaks. You just work. It's the truth. <laughs> so, but on that note, so if people are, if the travel patterns change, mm -hmm. then what are we going to do from a transit point of view to potentially change our models? And that's what I meant about the, like, can we go to dynamic scheduling? Can we get rid of rider's guides and the, the standard four-month sign-up process and, you know, it's been eight months to even get that new service on the road? If we have people changing the way they travel, how quick can we be to adapt? Because our previous way of service delivery is not going to allow us to be quick. Right. That's right. So that's just like... I think we're, and then, you know, I know lots of people are talking about, could we start to switch to some of the on-demand models, the Uber transit models, first mile, last mile, like right. we have to, we have to be extremely focused on what the customer's needs are. And that's the only way I think we're going to get back up to where we were pre-COVID ridership levels. One of the questions that came up on a program I was on uh, today, another program, was what's the role of Uber and Lyft and like Userve and, and other companies like uh, Silver Ride in San Francisco. These are uh, some of the TNCs and then adaptive TNCs that actually help elderly and disabled folks from the front of their door into the car. And these folks are uh, drug tested and, and um, you know, uh, more, more than just drug tests and physicals and all that stuff. So are we going to start using them more, right? The individualized ride. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a real question. I think a lot of agencies will say, you know what? Overnight, we don't need to run our buses. We're just going to go ahead and outsource that to these private companies. The cost of running our bus is X. The cost of 500 trips times $20 of trips is, is Y. It's just about the same. And they'll get individualized service that way. So I think you're right. A lot of systems are going to start analyzing. It's a, it's a, it's a pause to reflect, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah. 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 And think about, I mean, I'm actually kind of glad that this, you got to look at the silver lining, right? You got to right. find the, the good That's stuff right. out of it. But the recognition of the, what public transit does. Mm. So for anybody out there that's that like, doesn't support public transit, you can see now that we actually are the lifeline of carrying the essential workers. And I also love that we are, you know, in, in Victoria here, we bang our pots and pans at seven o'clock every night, but oh, yeah. gro grocery store clerks and bus drivers and truck drivers, they're the ones wearing the capes these days. So there's a recognition about, oh, wait a minute, how would my grocery store clerk get to this store if transit wasn't available? Yep, that's right. Yeah. And, well, and then I, oh, sorry. I was going to say, one of your natives uh, from Victoria, my favorite piano player, David Foster, uh, he and his wife, Kat, had been doing a show every other night uh, <laughs> at 8.30 Eastern time where we can watch them online, play music and sing. And I, I just, I love the fact that he's from your city. I saw there was a David Foster way around your inner harbor there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been doing piano online, but I've been doing live boot camps. <laughs> really? Like exercise stuff? Yes. So I used to, I used to run a boot camp. Yeah, you can, join, you can join tonight. I used to run a boot camp out of my garage on Sundays. And when this happened, we weren't able to do that anymore. So I moved it over to live online and it's, people have to stay active and healthy. That's so important. Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry. The one thing I was going to mention as well is, um, as you know, we also have many, many paratransit systems in our fleet of services. 
And it's interesting about the paratransit because uh, paratransit to me is I always find very, it's such an emotional connection. As you know, anybody who gets into the transit world, if you get into paratransit, you're in that family for life. And one of the things I found out about what I'm finding so interesting and fascinating about paratransit is you know who your customers are when you're when you run a paratransit system. And so a lot of our handy dart drivers or our paratransit drivers, they've been calling the customers saying, okay, well, what can I bring to you? Can I bring you your groceries? And so then I was thinking, I don't have the answers to this, but maybe our our accessible model switches a little bit. Why is it always us picking up Jane to take Jane to the grocery store just so Jane can go back? So what could we do to actually expand our service offerings in terms of helping all of our customers meet their needs, not just with the traditional approach of we'll pick you up at your door, we'll take you to where you need to go. So there's been some interesting things going on there with just, we have uh, drivers available and they've been helping out their customers. That's, I, I just that. find that fascinating. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, very good. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much yes. for spending <laughs> with us today on Transit Unplugged. And we wish you the best as you continue to serve the tens of thousands of passengers that you uh, transport on a regular basis there in British Columbia. Best of luck to you and stay safe. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for being with us today on this weekend edition of Transit Unplugged, the Comfort Corner Edition, where three times a week we bring you insightful stories about what's happening in and around the transit industry as it responds to the COVID-19 crisis, a newsmaker interview, and a reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation. The book hit number one on Amazon as a new release bestseller in March and continues to sell well around the world as people are starting to take this time during this COVID-19 crisis to improve their knowledge and uh, make themselves better prepared for the future. So many folks have uh, around the world, just this week I received uh, requests from the book from all over Europe and different places. Um, people can buy it online at Amazon and uh, other sources and uh, it is available for digital download or a hard copy or softback copy as well. It's 425 pages. It's a good read and it's got 40 different co-authors, contributors to the book and um, it's a good way to uh, future-proof yourself in this age of COVID-19 because the book really is timeless as it talks about what's coming in the next two to five years. Erin Pinkerton was our guest today and our newsmaker interview, and she wrote the first note in the book. And she wrote, uh, Paul Comfort is our industry's leader on what's coming next for mobility. After a 30-year career in public transportation operations and executive leadership, he now travels the globe hearing directly from our top CEOs on what's working and what's not and what's next. If anyone can pull together a compendium on the future of public transportation, it's Paul, and he's done so in this book. Congrats. She is the CEO and uh, president of the uh, BC Transit. I want to take a look at one of the chapters uh, today from a good friend of mine, Justin Pate, who is first transit senior vice president and global business development for global business development and marketing. And he wrote an amazing chapter. It's actually the first chapter of the book. I made it first because it gives a good overview of the whole transit industry and all the latest trends. I wanna to talk today, I wanna to read from his book, from his chapter on page 34, the first chapter, On-Demand Transit. On-Demand Transportation, he says, is one of the more popular solutions to increase mobility, improving system flexibility, efficiency, and convenience. On-Demand options, which take many forms, are successfully incorporated into both fixed route and paratransit services, sometimes including the services of transportation networking companies, TNCs, and other third-party providers. Some of our first on-demand transit operations included late-night services at colleges and universities designed to ensure students have a safe ride home after traditional transportation services end for the evening. 
On-demand services have also been successful as a first mile, last mile solution to increase ridership in fixed route operations and have also shown to improve passenger satisfaction and efficiency at paratransit operations, facilitating the ability to take same-day trip requests. More recently, on-demand services have expanded again with service for passengers needing wheelchairs and other mobility devices. The additional cap capability of on-demand services and wheelchair accessible vehicles not only increases mobility options for individuals with disabilities, it also allows for better overall service delivery by freeing up resources and increasing productivity. One specific type of on-demand transportation, microtransit, has proven to better connect various communities and or zones to increase the use of public transit. And many of our microtransit operations are company partners with our clients in evaluation, planning, service design, and implementation to achieve the desired results. Technology is a vital component of microtransit operations, and there's no shortage of passenger apps available for this purpose. Through these apps, or via a designated phone number, passengers can request trips. Passengers and dispatchers can see the real-time location of their vehicle, making commutes and trip planning much easier and convenient on the part of the passenger. The expertise of transportation contractors assist clients in identifying areas that can benefit from microtransit services, design parameters of service delivery, choose appropriate technology tools, and develop successful marketing of new initiatives to increase public awareness. In one successful example in Redding, California, First Transit and longtime partner Far Northern Regional Center, a nonprofit organization, worked together to provide access to jobs for individuals with disabilities. In 2017, First Transit began providing an on-demand program, ReadyRide, for their clients needing transportation to and from work or employment-related functions. As job opportunities increased for the community, the need for safe and reliable on-demand transportation quickly rose. The program now provides 600 rides per month, opening up opportunities for these clients that did not previously exist. So a great, a great a little segment of the book, The Future Public Transportation, again, written by my friend and transit leader, Justin Pate, who's first transit senior vice president. And the book is filled with chapters like that. I encourage you to take a look at it and let me know what you think. Leave a review on Amazon if you get a copy of the book. You can go to my website, futureofpublictransportation.com for all kinds of inside information about the book and blog posts from some of the authors. And uh, we're, we're updating it uh, right now as we speak to be a whole brand new website. Hopefully uh, by next week, it'll be a brand new website and uh, with lots of additional uh, resources available as well. So take a look at that if you get a chance. Thanks so much for being with us on this journey. I know that people are getting tired of being uh, kind of quarantined in home, uh, but we are, I believe, hopefully uh, coming down the other side soon. And uh, folks, we need to start thinking about how we will recover. And we need, at least need to have plans in place for what public transit can do to recover our ridership. And as we do that, stay tuned with us and be our partner every other day here on Comforts Corner Transit Unplugged. And with our regular uh, programs this week, we had a great interview with Eddie Robar, who is the head of Edmonton Transit, a really great guy who's done amazing things with electric vehicles and built a whole new garage for that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to his podcast, do so this weekend. Thank you so much for being with us. Stay safe out there. <music>